pitfalls, I would say comparison. And I'm sure you've all heard that comparison is the thief of joy. So there are so many entrepreneurs on social media who again are just like projecting like, hey, everything's going great and I'm awesome, so on and so forth. And if you're having a bad day and you see that, it can actually make it worse, right? So what I would say is like, just, just stay your own path and you're not trying to be the best, this person or that person, you're trying to be the, be the best version of yourself. But you can't do that if you're comparing yourself to someone else and feeling less than because you're not where they're at. And then beyond that, I mean, some people who are even enjoying levels of success, what they've had to do to accomplish it, maybe you're not willing to, right? Because of your ethics, your morals, your values, whatever it is. So I would say it sounds corny, but just be true to yourself, follow your own path. And then from there, you know, just always remain curious on how you can just chase this mastery uh, of life. Hello, everyone, and welcome back or welcome to Feeding Curiosity. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience, and we challenge ourselves and others to think, question, and synthesize wherever their curiosity takes them. It is through conversation that we provide blueprints for others to learn and lead a more fulfilling life. On today's episode, we are joined by Terry Rice. Terry is a business development consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. As the founder of Terry Rice Consulting, he helps entrepreneurs monetize their knowledge without sacrificing their health, family, or personal interests. His focus is advising professionals on how to launch or scale their knowledge-based businesses, which can include consulting, speaking appearances, online courses, and associated revenue streams. Terry is also an adjunct instructor at NYU, where he leads a workshop for career-driven individuals. A recognized digital marketing expert, his previous experience includes helping clients achieve their business goals while working at Adobe and Facebook. You can connect with Terry at his website, terryrice.co. The big through line for our conversation is with entrepreneurship and striking out on your own journey. And also understanding that how you respond to the moment is entirely up to you. Terry practices many things so that he's not only performing his best in business, but also in his personal life. And so that he's present with his most important people, his friends and family. To hear him elaborate on these ideas and how he's internalized those values so that he can be the embodiment of them is really fascinating. And they're all very tactical. They're not these, you know, fluffy things. They're very real. And it's if you just can give yourself a more empathetic worldview, then you can have a better way of dealing with other people on this planet. And the benefit of the doubt, realistically, and it's so cool. I really got a, a really big charge, not only editing this podcast again after so much time, because this podcast was actually recorded prior to COVID and prior to the events in June that we're currently working through with the protests. So with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Terry Rice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel. In today's episode, we're joined by Terry Rice. Hey, Terry. Eric, how's it going? Pretty good, man. This is awesome to to finally connect after meeting you a couple months back and keeping it going, basically. It's paying it forward. Yeah, yeah. It was a great experience out in Seattle. And I've never been in a room where everyone was so aligned with growth. Yeah, right. So um, I'm glad... <laughs> I'm glad to uh, to continue that with you now. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. So for everyone else involved, can you go ahead and just explain your professional background and then kind of like what your 
most oriented towards since that, you know, growth being your thing? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been working in digital marketing since about 2007. I had roles at Adobe as a consultant and also working at Facebook as an account manager, working with brands like BarkBox, Rory Parker, 1-800-Flowers, and just advising corporations on how to grow through digital channels. Mm -hmm. But about four years ago, I decided to do that myself independently by offering consulting services here in New York, as well as teaching at, at NYU. So that's wow. my, my background, just uh, advising brands and individuals mm -hmm. on how to grow. But I, lately, I've, I've just come to the conclusion that it's not just all tactics. It's not just like, here's how you, you know, grow your brand on Instagram. It's, it's, it's so much mindset that goes into it. And I've just become just more and more excited about sharing that with people in addition to the tactics that go along with it. Absolutely. So this is one of the questions that just came up right now, since you're about growing brands or growing pages or people, is there a way, cause like the tactic part to me sounds like hacky. Is there really like do these five things and you'll have a million subscribers or a million followers. Is that really true in your experience? Not in an ethical way. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are hacks which I don't support either I mean the right. hack is your hard work right. and being willing to endure through challenging times when the algorithms you know being being reset or mm -hmm. you're not getting responses for the posts that you're putting out but a lot of people that you see that have hundreds of thousands of followers they might be using bots or they're using like what we call engagement groups stuff like that mm. I, I don't support those approaches whatsoever right so that reason I asked that is because when areas get popular and podcasting being kind of one of those things right now it's like everyone jumps on the bandwagon and says oh i'm gonna do this thing and they start talking about all the fluffiness that gets when they get popular right but they don't realize the hard work that has to be put in place first the mindset as you were saying to actually do something that's a value and so i don't know if you want to unpack the the idea of like value versus just doing like a flash in the pan and that might be a little harsh to to the outside but i really don't like this idea of just building something to create followers or to create a following yeah it's the difference between seeming versus being so if you want to seem like someone who has all these followers and is like this thought opinion leader and you're exhausting yourself to get you know all this attention versus being someone who's like, you know what, I have this defined audience and I have this point of view I want to share with them. And I don't care if it's 100 people, 1,000 people, or 100,000 people, I'm going to deliver that authentically. And from my standpoint, I, that's, that's, where I, that's where I fell. I'm like, I'd rather have people, just a few people follow me and say, this guy gets it. You know, like mm -hmm. I'm aligned with his thought process, his morals, his values, so on and so forth, as opposed to just trying to seem like, you know, on this, this person who's like on this, this higher platform than, than everyone else. So for you, where did it, begin the process that you could kind of strike out on your own after working for some bigger brands and things like that? Where did, where did it kind of make sense that you're like, I could talk to more people than just these smaller areas that I'm dealing with? Yeah. Well, during my time at Facebook, that's when my wife and I had my, my first child on the way, my daughter, Lena. And I realized the lifestyle working at a startup with not uh, mesh well with being uh, a father because I was normally getting home at like seven o'clock at night. And I didn't want my daughter calling me Terry. So I was like, okay, I have to do something different and um, just go off on my own. So I could have more control over my schedule. So that's really how it started is just wanting more balance in my life. But I would say, you know, those first few months can be very challenging. And I think that's why some people quit and they're like, okay, let's go back to the nine to five. So one thing I, I learned was how to better focus on impact 
and also being patient to, to grow my business over time, as opposed to projecting lack and scarcity saying, you know, I have to get this client or else it's the end of the world, so on and so forth. But that's really where it came from. I just wanted to be more present uh, with my with my family. Mm-hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense. It's one of those things that I, I've been really focusing on over the last probably two years as I finished my degree is this, this idea where I could see that level of workaholism in my own attitude. And it, I think it's common for anyone who's growth oriented where you don't need a boss per se saying, hey, you need to perform better. You are doing that all the time for yourself no matter what when nobody's looking. And a lot of that kind of made me step back and say, okay, are you really doing what you value or are you just kind of like stuck on the hedonic treadmill, so to speak? And are you living to work or working to live is where I kind of go with this. And so for you, what was the narrative like maybe getting out of school or getting your first few jobs? Was it, was it really, were you not able to see this new version of yourself back then? Yeah, so I graduated from getting an MBA back in 2005, and I, it, that was a good time to share my personal philosophy first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my personal philosophy is to be purpose-driven, prepared, and patient, okay? And when I finished my degree, my MBA, I was not prepared whatsoever to get a real job, so I ended up working retail at Radio Shack, like literally selling like batteries and stuff with, a, with an MBA. So I didn't wow. have a clear vision for, yeah, that'll, that'll check your ego. So I did not have a clear vision for what I wanted my life to be whatsoever, but it was just somewhat aligned with the whole like nine to five thing. Like you work your way up the ladder and then you start managing people and so on and so forth. And that just seemed like a good idea. Cause like, that's what we're exposed to, you mm-hmm. know, just over the years. But one thing I, I can realize now looking back at my career is at pretty much every job I ever had, I never looked around at someone and said, oh, I want your job. Like, I didn't want anyone's job. I didn't want the president's job. I don't want the CEO's job. I don't want my manager's job. So, like, I always felt uncomfortable. I'm like, why don't I want this? But it's because I'm an entrepreneur. That's what I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I don't regret that because I learned a lot during that process. But I was always like, this is not what I want. You know, like, this is cool. Like, I like the snacks and everything. But I don't want to manage a huge team and, like, report to a board and all this other stuff. Like, it just wasn't my thing. Yeah. It's actually kind of funny. It's making me think of a framework right now where maybe it's worth starting with what you do not want to do versus what do you want to do? Because if you can figure out the things that you don't even want to touch with a 10 foot pole, then it makes it a lot easier to understand like what, what direction you should be pointing yourself in to find what you really want to be doing. Yeah. And, but on those lines real quick, Mm -hmm. some people, they go into entrepreneurship because like, Oh, I don't want someone telling me what to do. And it's like, no dude, you have a problem with authority. (laughs) That's totally different than you wanting to start your own business and create value for the world, right? So you should probably solve for that as opposed to saying, oh, I quit. I'm going to go create some app. Yeah, I, I think, so, like, again, kind of going back to that thing where it's like certain words get buzzy and entrepreneurship is definitely one of those things that everybody kind of throws on their Instagram accounts or LinkedIn profiles, like entrepreneur founder, whatever. And I don't mean to be cynical about it, but some part of me is like, Ugh. like, are you doing this for the right reason? Because it's not a get you know, rich quick scheme. Most of the time you have to really know what you're all about. Like you mentioned your personal philosophy. And I really want to unpack that because I think reflecting on, you know, I see use personal philosophy as kind of like your anchor to either the daily. And then also that bubbles up to the monthly and yearly like directionality of like, what am I anchoring myself into? And so for you, it's really clear that how that applies to your life because of the way you say it, obviously. And 
what was the process for you to uncover it? I wouldn't say discover because it's more of like there. You just don't realize it's there. It was a very specific process. It was going through this course, which I'm sure you, you know, you're obviously familiar with, mm-hmm. um, called Finding Your Best from the founders of Compete to Create. And over the course of, I think it was eight weeks, uh, just did a lot of tough work, uh, inner work, to come up with this personal philosophy, which I, I iterated several times because at first, you know, you want something that sounds badass. It's like, oh, to be aggressive and productive and blah, blah, blah. And, but then I just sat back and thought, like, who am I at my best, right? You know, when, when I'm at my best, what, what words or phrase describes me? And purpose-driven, right? You know, like, because anything you do in life is going to have challenges. But if you, if you want to achieve that challenge, or that, that, that outcome, more than you want to avoid those challenges or the fear, you will push through, right? So yeah. being purpose-driven, that's the fuel. And then being prepared, right? You can have the best idea in the world, but all of a sudden there's these random things that go along with it. Oh, I have to, you know, set up a CRM system or I have to start blogging or I have to set up my websites. Like, oh, I just want to have this impact in the world, but you have to be prepared to do that yeah. uh, in advance and front load all those things. And then lastly, patience. That's a form of wisdom, realizing that things take time to evolve, right? And just because, you know, you're doing all the right things this week, if you come to Friday and nothing happened, you realize, no, but I'm committing to this path of excellence, and I know good things will come because not only am I, am I you know, this, this is part of my vision, but I've also studied other people who have done what I've done before. And I think that's part's really important because, yeah, it can be scary, but if you focus more on what inspires you as opposed to like what you're afraid of, that's going to get you in the right mindset to be successful as well. Yeah, that's really interesting to me because, like, over the last few weeks, I've, I've transitioned roles at my current job into actually a sales role myself. And so I'm now a engineer turned salesman, which again, that is like taboo in many, <laughs> in many wor- frames of thinking. But for me, it's really because of acquiring skills outside of a domain. It's, I use it as like a, a investment into the future because an engineer has a lot of assumptions that of the things they can't do, right? Communicating effectively, personal skills, all that kind of things. Right. And so for me, I'm trying to break down those things, maybe not right now, but down the road. And then because of like this podcast is like, that is the vehicle for that. So for you, what were the skills that you had to acquire that you didn't know you needed until after you set yourself on the path? One would be a process, a process to get clients, first of all, because Mm -hmm. when you work at Facebook, they just hand you a book of clients. They're like, okay, you're working with guilt or Warby Parker in your numerary way. So setting up that process to attract work to me, but also this my day-to-day. How do I structure my day-to-day in a way that's efficient and also allows me to express myself through you know, some kind of creativity or going to the gym or just leaving early to pick up my kids? So that process is really what took me a, a long time to develop because there's a difference between being busy and being productive, right? So if you're doing all this transactional stuff first thing in the morning, Sure, you might be busy, but maybe not productive. So for me, I do all my all my more creative work in the morning. That's okay. when I'm doing any kind of blogging or even like commenting on social media. But just realizing, hey, block off the first two hours of your day at least for creative work, then go to the gym, then do transactional stuff afterwards. It takes a while to get in that rhythm. And then outside of that, figuring out how to attract the right business to me as opposed to doing outbound marketing. And how do you do that? You know, you're on stages, you're on panels, you're writing high quality content. And instead of you asking someone to work with you, they're coming to you saying, Hey man, I heard you talk. I think it was great. You know, how can I learn more? Yeah. 
So for you, the you you really obviously fine tune this this process for yourself to how to like get clients or even just pipeline it, I guess. And I think that's one of the more difficult things most people either entering the work world in general or just understanding that their system is something they design and however that works for you and how you use your time and attention is really up to you. So how do you understand like what is in the most important things, or I guess what are the most important things that you can't like are non-negotiable for you? There's this book um, called the one thing. Mm-hmm. I believe it's by Gary Keller. I think so. along those names. Yeah. And he says, it all starts with a positioning question. And that question is this, what is the one thing that by doing so, everything else will become unnecessary or easier? And that's what I focus on, on a quarterly basis, on a monthly basis, so on and so forth. Then you say to yourself, okay, what's the one thing I need to do this quarter? What's the one thing I need to do this month? What's the one thing I need to do this week, today? What's the one thing I need to do right now? And whenever you're catching yourself not doing that one thing, that is a trigger to say, okay, cool. I got to take a step back because right now I'm like answering transactional emails. But the one thing I need to do is really nail this speech they're going to give next week. So let me go ahead and practice that more. That's awesome. So from there, it's like pattern interrupts, either pattern interrupts in a general sense, like when you, when you've realized that you're, you know, spinning your wheels in something that's not as productive or when you notice that you've become unfocused or even stressed out in some way, what do you do there? Well, first of all, I work in 50 minute blocks. Okay. So I'll say, okay, look, you know, I can't lock in and be perfect all day, but I can lock in for this next 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. So 50 minutes on 10 minutes off. And if you do that for like even three, three rounds in a row, you get a lot done. Right. So that's one thing, turning off the notifications on your phone, not answering any emails, just locking in, throwing on Spotify, listening to something to help you zone out. Mm -hmm. That's one. But your other point about, you know, like when you feel your mind drifting, the easiest thing for you to do is just to wiggle your toes. Ooh. Wiggle your toes and remind yourself, hey, I'm here now, right? Ground yourself, be where your feet are. And that helps me even when I'm having conversations with prospects and clients. They're like, oh, you're a really good listener. I'm like, no, I'm just wiggling my toes and realizing <laughs> it's, my, it's, it's my time to listen. It's not my time to plan what I'm going to say next. And I'm sure you know some people when you're talking to them and before they respond, there's like a longer pause. You're like, are you listening to me or what? Yeah, they are. They're listening so much. They're now thinking about how to respond. They weren't thinking about their response while you were talking. So that pause is a sign of respect, in my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting. It, you do notice that because a long pause makes it feel awkward for a lot of us because we're not used to people pausing, especially after talking for so long. A lot of people are just kind of waiting for the next, squeezing the next word or there's talking before you even finish your sentence. <laughs> but if you if you look at people who are like well media trained, right? They're doing interviews and on stage and stuff like that. They'll do that too. Like they'll just pause and they'll say, oh, and then respond, right? Mm-hmm. So they know that that three seconds they give themselves to think is going to help them say br- something brilliant for the next 30 seconds instead of just trying to like rapid fire, like spit something out to close that gap, which might be seen as awkward. Yeah, wow. That's so interesting. It, it's funny too that you brought up the be where your feet are again too because every time like we heard that when we were in Seattle and that was one of the things that I remember writing down because it's so powerful and it hit me again. Just it, 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 You said it in a little bit of a different way but I was like, oh yeah, I got to remember that more often because it's one of those things that we forget 
to anchor ourselves in this moment because we're always thinking about like that next thing to do. You know, it, it's so easy to get stuck on that. Like, oh, okay, I got 15 minutes to do this thing. And then like after that, I got to call this, pro you know, it's so easy to get trapped in those like never ending spirals of the next thing, not the thing you're doing right now. From there, if you had, like for you, you mentioned working out. What is it, it like, has working out always been a routine in your your or movement, right, I guess more broadly? Has it always been part of your routine or is that a newer thing or how have you refined that over the years? So in college, it, it was because I, I was an athlete and then after that, I just kind of want to maintain it. So mm -hmm. that was part of it. But that was like, that was for the beach. That was all just like to look good. It wasn't like anything like, you know, mental, <laughs> mental, uh, <laughs> Uh, training or anything like that. Yeah. And then when I first moved to New York, I was, I was in the habit still of, of doing it. And I fell off like in my mid twenties or late twenties, maybe for about five or six years. And that was a challenging time because like your clothes start fitting you different. People have not seen you for a while. They're like, Oh, what happened? And mm -hmm. it's like, cause when you get small after being larger, people are like, you know, are you okay? And stuff like that. But uh, right before my daughter was born, that's when I got back into it. And it's been a really good way just to obviously strengthen your body. But for me, it's a mental thing too. Like that's how I really stress. And it's beneficial because I think it helps me, it helps moderate my mood. So for example, like if I get some kind of like snarky email from someone, I don't have to respond back with that because I'm like, I just deadlifted 400 pounds. Like I got my aggression out earlier today. I'm good. If you're feeling some kind of way, hey, that's fine. I'm still going to respond in a way that's, you know, professional mm -hmm. um, or at least cordial, right? So that's, that's, that's part of it. It's, it's this mood regulation. Yeah. And for me, the easiest way to do that is to go to CrossFit because it's only an hour-long class. It's very intense. But you have to go certain hours of the day. So there's no, oh, I'll do it this time. It's like, no, there's no classes then. Or you're at home with your kids. So that commitment to that discipline has been extremely valuable for me. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point you make because I spent a lot of my time when I was first working out as like just exercising discipline where it's like, okay, after work, you go to the gym and then that was it. But as I got busier and busier with just life and stuff, it, it made it a lot more difficult to leave work and be like, okay, you go to work after the, or you go to gym after the work. And then it was like, you get off at four 30 and then you get off at like five 30, you know, it slowly creeps further and further out. And the next thing you know, you're getting to the gym at seven or eight and then you're not home until like nine and then you got to go to sleep and, you know, do it all over again. And so I finding classes has been a really powerful tool to be able to like, Nope, you get your butt out of work at this time. So you can make that class. And then, you, you know, there's no, excuses like you said you're going here so you're got to show up for that time and it, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of usefulness because of the like pressure relief valve is kind of the way i call it you know just letting your brain shut off for that either hour or whatever or put on loud music and kind of just you know be in your body for a few times because it's easy to get stuck in your brain you also mentioned too that it was not initially a mental exercise for you when did that change? Because for me, I didn't even think about that component either. Probably not for the first year, but I do notice that I just do feel better, right? Because of the neurochemical reactions that happen. Yeah, I think it, maybe since I got older and I had other stressors in my life that weren't present when I was in, in college, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I have you know, a growing family and I have a business to run and things like that. And what you don't want to do is bring all that home with you. 
right? Because again, be where your feet are. Right now I'm at home. I should not be stressed out about work. So if you find that to your point, that relief valve, if you exercise that works. And for me, like when I'm there, I'm like, if you have anything in you that you need to get out, this is the place to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not when you get home and you're like snapping at your daughter for like spilling juice on the counter. This is the place to take care of it. And that's, it's, that's why it's such a gift to have a schedule where literally my gym is the building next door to my office. Oh, wow. And I just so walk. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I walk there two minutes, not even. And, um, I'm just really fortunate to have that lifestyle where I can, where I can do that. The other question that I, you remembered there was you, you mentioned like emails, right? You get, maybe you get a nasty email or a phone call with a customer who's being a little bit more forceful than usual or something like that. How do you like put, space between the stimulus and the response rather than responding with the first thing matching their tone what do you do do you take a lap around the building if you're gonna like you notice yourself being elevated or maybe you're like want to yell at somebody or whatever yeah i think the first thing is i proactively avoid situations where i might deal with someone who's kind of a jerk and i say that because i'm a consultant right so i sell my services but even as the seller you should always be the buyer so if you feel like someone just not a good mental space or just like you're not aligned in like your work ethic or even like how much you respect each other, whatever it is, then you got to say, hey, this is not going to work and keep it moving because you yourself signed up for this opportunity to potentially have this experience with that person. Now, in situations where it does manifest, it's beneficial to play the role of public defender where you're trying to defend that person's actions. So if someone's acting like a jerk, you can say to yourself, you know what, maybe they got some really bad news about their apartment or, you know, maybe they're having, you know, they had a tough commute, so on and so forth. And even if that's not the case, it's a better way for you to look at the world instead of the world being a hostile environment, you try to explain someone's behaviors and therefore you don't take it as personal. So that's usually my approach. And, but at the end of the day, I'm like, that's all your problem. (laughs) And Hey, I hear you. That's, that's too bad, but I'm in this zone right now where those kind of thoughts, that kind of mindset, you can't get in this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's you, what you're trying to push off on me, I don't accept. And, you know, we'll have to continue this conversation, but I'm not going to do it on those terms. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I do like that a lot because it's, it's a, one, an exercise in empathy and you get out of your own, own shoes. It's like, okay, I get why this person and it's not a reflection of me, which is huge. And then the other part is just not accepting it to bring down your mood. Would you consider yourself to be a person who's pretty even across the board when it comes to emotional regulation, I guess? Like, do you, do you get hot-headed? <laughs> no. So I would be described as a stoic optimist. And um, by that, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Now, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. But I do expect good things to happen. If they don't, I'm like, okay, cool. Well, what can we do about it from here? Right? We're here now. We can't spend time wishing something didn't happen. It did happen. So what's the next best thing we can take? But when it comes to being an emotional hothead, I don't see a value in that because you have a finite amount of energy, right? So if you're going to expel that by like yelling or whatever, like that's not going to solve anything. Like no one ever had a problem and they're like, well, I just yelled about it for a while and it went away. You're like, that's that story never gets told. Yeah. So I don't think it behooves anyone to like pop off like that. So the next question there is, do you practice any sort of mindfulness routine outside of the working out? Any other ways of relieving stress or anything like that? Yeah, so I drop off 
at least two of my three kids every morning before I get to work. Mm-hmm. And luckily I can just, I can just walk here. But the very first thing I do when I get to my desk is I meditate for 10 minutes because I have to kind of just clear that out. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beneficial just to kind of reset and say, okay, cool. Here's where I am now. So I'll meditate for at least 10 minutes. And then in the afternoon, sometimes if I need a reset, I'll take like five minutes or so to, to do that as well. And then at night, what I'll do is I'll listen to a different meditation, which is more aligned with you manifesting a vision that you have for your life. Okay. So what does your day-to-day look like? What does your home look like? Who's there? And you need to do that because when you, when you have this vision and you, and you meditate on it, your brain actually creates new neural pathways to help you get there. Right. So you can't just have a goal like your goal is like, I want to make half a million dollars a year because your brain's like, look, I have no clue what that looks like. But if you have a vision saying, here's what I'm doing, here's how I get there. There's the doing brain and the thinking brain. The doing brain only does what the thinking brain thinks. So you have to think these things in order to manifest them. Mm. That's it. That's so fascinating. <laughs> I've used Sam Harris's app and I've used Headspace. I like Sam Harris's a lot better. And then I've also started dabbling into, I don't know if you heard of Brain FM. It's an app. Basically, it has music that is scientifically shows like it activates like better focus in the brain. And they also have some sleep stuff too with music. So they have some science behind the different tones and things like that that basically allow you to unlock different focus states or the clearing away of some of that like mental chatter basically. So it's, it sounds really similar to what you're saying there with meditation. And it's just one of those things that the more I learn about this stuff that, you know, seems really unscientific on the surface, or at least at first glance, it's now turning into like, nope, there's actually a lot going on behind the scenes here. And it's endlessly fascinating for me. What was it like getting into meditation for you? It was rough <laughs> because I'm like, I'm like, you just sit here and breathe, you know, like, it's like, what's the point of this? And then the challenge you'll have is like your focus drifts, right? You're like, you're trying to have this single point focus and all of a sudden you're thinking about lunch and then, and then you might feel bad. You're like, Oh, I'm messing up, you know? And like, you know, you, you kind of go down the spiral. But one thing I learned from the event we attended, the, um, the finding your best event was, you know, even when your mind uh, drifts, pulling it back is like a, it's like a muscle. It's like a flex. It's a skill. You're like, okay, cool. I'm getting stronger at this. So you shouldn't get down on that. You should say, okay, let me persist through. And this is part of it. But another thing to realize, it takes like two or three weeks for the impact to actually kick in. So you have to be patient and just push through that. But what I found was within a few weeks, I remember it was like this football game with my niece um, at Syracuse University. There are these kids behind me that spilled a beer like all over me and like my jacket. And I'm like, that is annoying. Like I knew it was annoying, but I wasn't like angry at all. I was like, hey, when I was a kid, I was doing the same stupid stuff. That's when I realized, like, I should be kind of pissed right now, but I'm not because I'm happy to be here with my niece. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a direct result of mood regulation through meditation. That's that's an awesome example. I, I think, honestly, the more stories like that one that come up are going to be what really tip the needle on these because people think about just what you said, like sitting there, paying attention to your breathing, like, oh, that's what meditation is. Like, no, no, no. Like, it, there's there's way more applicable to the daily to daily grind, right? Maybe you get caught off at, like, on your way to work. Or, you know, you have this meeting with your boss. And, like, if you can take a couple of deep breaths before you go into this meeting every week. And you don't get, like, upset because you know the boss isn't going to... They're not upset at you. They're upset at the numbers that they don't look as good or whatever, right? <laughs> Stuff like that. And I think th- those real-life stories that help you approach the moments that would normally 
you know, piss off the average person in quotation marks is really where the superpower of this stuff is, where you let things roll off your back that wouldn't otherwise. And I, it's, it's so, so fascinating to see that happening on, on so many different angles like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a choice. I mean, this happened. What do you want to do next? Do you want to yell at the kids behind you or do you want to sit there and enjoy the time with your niece? Like, you yeah. know, it's up to you, but either way, your jacket's still going to be wet. Like, you can't, like, <laughs> right. it's not going to dry off. It, getting angry won't make it dry quicker. So it's like, what's the point? That's a really, okay, so that's a really good point. So where was the road, like that fork in the road where you can kind of see that there's this ability to react to moments is your choice? Because I don't think a lot of people realize that how we react to any moment is up to us. I think it's from studying other people who are preaching the same approach. And I'm not saying like turn the other cheek, like not that, you know, far back, you know, right, not yeah. to that degree, but when you just do it in practice and you're like, okay, well, I chose to take the high road or whatever. And I'm glad I did it. And I actually, what I do is I try to like bookmark moments in my life. I'm like, okay, remember this moment, this happened. Here's how you feel about it. So next time something happens like this, you can say, look, if I just push through it the same way I did last time and, you know, keep a more positive approach, I, again, will get rewarded with this feeling. So I, I by design, I try to bookmark moments. And same thing with you, probably like when you leave the gym, you're like, hey, remember, you feel great right now. You didn't want to go, but you feel really great right now. That way, next time you're considering not going, you're like, hey, nope, remember, you felt great afterwards. So by design, that's what I do. And I think that's the, the moments that led me to this realization. Yeah, that's super important. The, one of the things that I remember, I forget where I actually heard it. It was definitely on a podcast, but it was like, th it's through pain that we make changes. It's when everything is going right and sunshine and rainbows, we're least likely to make a, some sort of change in our life. It's when things go sideways for some reason and it causes a pain response is when we're more likely to make a change. And was there anything like that for you that like kind of jumpstarted some of these changes in your thinking or behaviors? I wouldn't say it's the one thing I would say it's the realization that stuff is always going to keep coming up mm -hmm. and you can't ever get too comfortable because that's part of life. So you have to front load the skills to thrive even in challenging situations because they're coming. And because even like good times they're, they're fleeting, right? So if you can't ride the highs and the lows and still, you know, recover to get back to another high, you're, you're in trouble. So that's where the mood regulation comes in. And it's the realization that like, Hey, you know, things are going to come up. So, you know, when they do, I'm not hoping for them, but I'm prepared. Yeah. That's again, it's one of those things. It's, I, I think it, the other part of this that might scare some people away is that there's never an end. Right. But that's half of it. And and I think, you know, some people are like, well, where, where's the enough part? Like when, do, when do I get to stop? And I'm like, well, unfortunately we never get to stop, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I, I don't know, is, is there a way that you anchor yourself to understanding that your best is yet to come or that, you know, quitting last or even is another way of looking at that? Like, you just got to keep going no matter what. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is like there's a gap between what you're comfortable with mm -hmm. and what you're capable of. And the size of that gap is directly proportionate to the regret you'll have about going for it and what you're leaving on the table. So for me, my goal is to continually close that gap, even though you have to push through fear, learn new skills, so on and so forth. 
But as I close the gap, I'm like, okay, well, shoot, maybe we should push out a little bit further. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's the fun part. And I, I want to feel like at the end of my life, I've exhausted my talent. So I never really want to feel comfortable. I want to feel like, oh, there's other stuff I can do. Not in terms of like, you know, monetary gain. Cause yeah. it's not like, okay, I need more money, but like there's more impact I can have on other people. There's ways for me to be, you know, a better parent or a better husband or something like that. Mm -hmm. I never want to max out and be like, okay, I'm good. Let me just stay complacent for another 30 or 40 years or so. <laughs> and so for me, it's the pursuit that I enjoy but I, I enjoy the, the journey. So I'm not just looking for the outcome. I enjoy the actual pursuit. Yeah. It's, it's a common, it's again, there's another common thing about people who are just the striving for something. It, and they may, be, may not even be able to explain what that something is. They're just on this thing and they're like, there's more to be explored. So it's super fascinating for me because I feel exactly the same way, just in different avenues. The, the one thing too, that I would want to pick on here is kind of like in the beginning, when you first started you know, maybe thinking about going to do this business on your own. Did you tell any friends or family and did they have any hesitation or like voice any opinion as to why, like why it was a bad idea or were people supporting you on that? It was mixed, but I would say people who have already done it, they were the ones that were more encouraging. Mm -hmm. So if someone's like, look, I've had a nine to five forever. My uncle had a nine to five. My sister has a nine to five. They're going to say, hey, dude, don't do it. This is risky. Mm -hmm. But people who have done it and come out well on the other side, they're the ones who are going to say, yes, it is risky, but I've known you for X years. You're built for this. Mm -hmm. And I will support you. I will give you, you know, these tips, these books or whatever it is. So you have to realize sometimes you're getting bad advice from, from the wrong people <laughs> and just realize, you know, you want to get advice from someone who's already walked that path not someone who's maybe afraid and afraid for you. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're saying these things. So for, this is a more general question, not just for starting a business, but when trying to take that first step into anything, it could be working out, it could be meditation, it could be starting your own business. What would be your way of giving yourself the okay to just attempt something new or something unknown? I remember my, when I was a sophomore, I, I started playing football because I took a break for a while. I used to play when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I started playing JV football and we had to do double sessions. So you have two hours of practice in the morning and then two hours at night. And this is like 90 degree weather. And after the first day, like I was like, I guess I was like 13 or 14. I walked off the field and I was like, well, I didn't die. <laughs> I guess I'll come back tomorrow. So that's pretty much my approach. Like anything new you're trying, in most cases, it's not going to kill you. But you have to push through that, that fear, that apprehension, and to say, look, I'm just going to try it. Because another way to think about it is like you just sit down and you say to yourself, if I continue doing what I'm doing right now, in five years, I will feel this. And if you, the answer scares you, then you have to change what you're doing right now, right? Because it all starts that day. So anytime you want to try something new, meditation, working out, eating better, whatever, just think, what's the alternative, right? What's the opportunity cost of me not trying this new thing? And from there, you can decide like, hey, I should probably you know, try this out and see what happens. That's really cool. So from there, I think that right now is a perfect point to talk about books. So taking in either new information, it doesn't have to be books. It could also be podcasts, audiobooks, regular books, anything you want to share is like, where do you get sources of new information or high quality information to kind of give yourself the okay to explore? I'd say one book that I read that was very enlightening was The Obstacle is the Way uh, by Ryan Holiday. And it's all based on stoicism. So again, 
your life is like, you know, it's, it's perception, then it's action and endurance. So I'm very aligned with that. Another book I read by Darren Hardy, it's called The Compound Effect. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how doing small, significant things on a daily basis uh, consistently will lead to great outcomes. So just saying like, you know, you have to instill these good daily habits in yourself in order to get this, this life that you want, but it's the commitment to that habit that's really important. So I would say that's another. And in regards to other, other content, I listened to Dr. Michael Gervais' Finding Mastery podcast. Obviously, you're aware of that one. But what else? Jason Pfeiffer, who's the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, mm-hmm. has a podcast. It's called Problem Solvers, and oh, cool. it's about how entrepreneurs solve problems. And the reason why I like that a lot is because you see all these people that are successful and you're like, Oh, look at them. But they tell the story like, no, I, I was sleeping on my mom's couch and borrowing money for lunch. And here I am now. So it kind of humanizes people that you see in such high regard yeah. and makes you feel like, Hey, if they're, they went through this, you know, so can I, and I can be successful as well. So those are a few that I would share. Cool. Yeah. That's definitely ones I will look into because I like the humanizing element of a lot of these things. You know, we, we inadvertently put people on pedestals, you know, when you don't know their story, you know, you see them from the 10,000 foot view and look how much money they have and look at all these big companies that they've built, but you don't know that person, right? The struggles because they were 20 years old or something at some point where they didn't know if it was going to work out either. (laughs) Mentioned a lot here is about parenting and kind of creating the life that you want so that you can be the best parent and husband. Is there anything you want to share about just kind of managing, you know, the craziness as that is life, no matter what, you know, it doesn't matter that you're an entrepreneur or not, but like, what are your like ideas is like striving to be a parent? Cause I think it's one of the things that is the most important job that we don't really talk about a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, when I, when my daughter was on the way, I was talking to one of my buddies, I was like, Hey, can you give me some advice, you know, on how to be a parent? And he's like, it's not that hard. You decide, do you want to be a good parent or a crappy parent? And then based on what you choose, that's the path you go on. So if you say you want to be a good parent, that means, yes, you have to wake up at four in the morning when your daughter wants a tissue. That means, yes, you know, you, you know, you can't work out in the morning because you have to be there for your kids, but it, it is rewarding. And I don't want to go too far into that because like you've all heard that story before, but it's, it's work too. But I think that me having children is my unfair advantage because I have to be more efficient during the workday because there is no midnight oil to burn. I can't go home and bang out a couple more hours of work. As soon as I leave my office, I'm picking up my kids and it's on from then, right? So there's less excuses and less, you know, less, less leeway for me to not be as productive. So it's, it's, it's a gift in many ways, but that's, that's the way I think about it. You want to be a good parent? You want to be a bad parent? Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of take it from there. I mean, it's, it's, Cut and dry, real simple like that. But I, I really like that. And I, it's one of these questions I ask people because I think it's it's one of these things that we just don't talk about enough. It's For me, the way I look at it is like, how would you let a child explore the world is really similar to like answers of like, how would you give advice to other people to explore the world? Or you wouldn't prescribe, shove a certain like medicine down their throat for that. So you can kind of interplay a lot of these ideas from just the parenting lens. So I really enjoy that. It, it was there and then it just... It's gone. I don't remember where it was. Crap. <laughs> the now it's bothering me because I knew. Oh, that's what it was. It was bad recommendations in either your areas of expertise. So you kind of mentioned it before, like taking advice from people who didn't know what they were like talking about because they'd never done the business on their own. Anything else, either in speaking or writing or entrepreneurship in general, you know, pitfalls. 
Pitfalls, I would say comparison. And I'm sure you've all heard that comparison is the thief of joy. So there are so many entrepreneurs on social media who again are just like projecting like, Hey, everything's going great and I'm awesome. So and so forth. And if you're having a bad day and you see that it can actually make it worse. Right. So Mm -hmm. what I would say is like, just to stay your own path and you're not trying to be the best, this person, that person trying to be the, be the best version of yourself, but you can't do that if you're comparing yourself to someone else and feeling less than because you're not where they're at. And then beyond that, I mean, some people who are even enjoying levels of success, what they've had to do to accomplish it, maybe you're not willing to, right? Because of your ethics, your morals, your values, whatever it is. So I would say it sounds corny, but just be true to yourself, follow your own path. And then from there, you know, just always remain curious on how you can just chase this mastery uh, of life. You're really dialed in on this whole mastery concept. It's, it's so cool to see just like it in action. It's, it's one of the interesting things for me to, to connect with people like yourself. There's a focal point, but then, and with like shared teachings and values, but then I get to see people like yourself who are applying it in their own life and then in their own way. And they put their unique spin and twist because they've all read different books and stuff like that. And to see how you've internalized it is so cool. Is there any other aspects or messages that you'd want to recommend to someone or just kind of put out in the world that you may not have gotten to say to anyone before? Yeah, and this is going to sound very basic, but I would recommend everyone just think more. And by think, I mean, stop doing stuff all the time. Just focus on thinking and being. Give yourself a half an hour every week just to sit there and think. And whatever comes to mind, if you want to write it down, that's fine, but don't take action on it. Think about what you're doing for your business, for your family, for your life, why you're doing it, and maybe some adjustments you want to, might want to make. But I think sometimes we're so busy doing, we don't have time to sit there and think and say, well, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. But if you give yourself that opportunity and just afford yourself that space, you'll get great results from it because you're going to further refine whatever you are doing while you're doing stuff. Awesome, Terry. So with that, I think we'll end this first conversation because I got to get back to work. (laughs) And just where can people connect with you if they want to find out more or just say hello? Yeah, sure thing. So my website is terryrice.co.co. Mm-hmm. And then on social, it's it's Terry Rice. Sweet. There we go. And there's always room for a round two, or if you ever have anything you want to share with me and the people, we can always make that happen in some way. Awesome. Appreciate that. Yep. Thanks, Terry. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Feeding Curiosity. I hope you all learned something or at least got you thinking. If you want to dive in deeper, please head over to feedingcuriosity.net to find related links or just more podcasts and blogs that we posted there. On top of this, please consider subscribing to our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest happenings on the website. Thank you all for joining me one more time. 
and we'll catch you all in the next episode.